a nice shirt. Well, this this opens an opportunity. This shirt. This shirt. Are we getting it? Designed by our own Jerry Hot Rod Domingue. This shirt comes in various versions. This is the Stratocaster version. We also have the Telecaster version and the Les Paul version and the acoustic guitar version. So support your local musician. You guys ready? All right. Golden Voice, where are you? I found we did a survey, and the offerings are higher when Golden Voice speaks. So Golden Voice may end up taking over this entire church. Golden, take it away on John chapter 13. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Let's turn them up a little bit. Try that. Can you hear me? There you go. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe 
that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Thank you. Amen. Okay, this is an extremely important chapter, and here's the reason why. This is the beginning of five chapters in the Gospel of John dedicated to one evening in Jesus' life. There is no incident in Jesus' life, including either his birth or his death, that has the attention and the focus that this one evening has. This is an extremely important series of five chapters. This is the last time Jesus will be with his disciples together in fellowship before his death. When this evening ends, he's going to be arrested. And shortly thereafter, he's going to be tried. And shortly thereafter, he's going to be executed. And he is aware of what is going to happen. Although his disciples, he's, he's told his disciples what's going to happen, but they don't get it. They, they haven't seen the full picture. But he knows what is going to happen. And so the words he speaks to his disciples in this night are the most important thoughts of his life. This is, in effect, 
a deathbed moment. If you had 12 hours to live, if I told you you're going to die tomorrow mid-morning, how would you spend your last 12 hours on earth? You would gather the people that are most important to you and you would have a meal together because it's what people do. And then you would share your heart and you would tell them everything you felt you needed to tell them before you were gone. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Isn't his humanity beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? So we've got to pay particular attention. Like all the words that Jesus speaks are important, but these ones are critically important. We get to look into the heart of God in these five chapters. And we find out what really matters to him. Well, what concerns him most? Here's an interesting little hint. In the first 12 chapters leading up to this evening, the word love is used six times. In 12 chapters, love is used six times. In these chapters, covering this one evening, 31 times. I wonder what Jesus is thinking about. Gosh, what's most important to him? We are looking into the mind of Jesus, but we need to understand we're also looking into the mind of God. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. So what we see here are not just Jesus' words, they're God's words. It's not just Jesus' heart we're looking at, it's the Father's heart we're looking at. So we're seeing a, a perfect representation of what matters most to God. And love is what's most important to him. And this is reinforced by the first opening words of this chapter where John says Jesus quote having loved his own who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love well this is interesting because having loved his own he now shows them the full extent of his love. He's already loved his disciples. They have already experienced his love. He has chosen them, he's accepted them, he's taught them, he's empowered them, he's commissioned them, and he has sent them out with his authority. Can they have any doubt at this point that he loves them? Well, do you? Yes. Human nature, I said it uh, two weeks ago, human nature is, what have you done for me lately? We very quickly question the love of those around us. We very quickly question the love of God. And what I like about this is he's quite aware of this human frailty. Having loved his own, he now shows them the full extent of his love. There's no mountain that he won't climb. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's no lie he won't destroy to show you the extent of his love. And that's what he's going to do. In a matter of hours, he's going to die for them. Isn't this enough? 
What more does he have to do to show them the full extent of his love? The cross is the full extent of his love, but that's going to happen tomorrow. Right now, he has an opportunity to go deeper in their experience of his love. And so he does the most self-sacrificial thing he can do in that moment. He lowers himself to become the most menial of servants. He does the work of the invisible and obscure person in the house that no one ever notices. He takes the lowest position he can possibly take in this moment. And he washes their feet. And this is not a form of love they've ever experienced from him before. And it is truly shocking. It is ridiculous. Now it's interesting because we don't see this from the book of John. But I'm going to tell you something that shows that there's two things going on when he does this. One is the example of his love, but the other is a rebuke. Because just before this evening, on the way to this evening, although John doesn't include it in his narrative, just before this dinner, the disciples were actually arguing about which one of them would be the greatest. Now this is, this is not just human frailty. This is really insulting because he has already told them, I have to go to Jerusalem to die. Get it? So he's on the way to his death tomorrow and they're fighting over who's going to replace him. Hello? I mean, who are these people? They're people. They're already fighting about who's going to be the greatest when he's gone. Unbelievable. How shamelessly human. And the Jesus shows them in the middle of this attitude what real love is. And in part he is rebuking them. But if we didn't have the rest of these five chapters to look at and see all the other times, the 31, the 30 times that love is mentioned... We might think, well, this is just a rebuke. It's not just a rebuke. It's an example of what real love looks like. It's correcting them in the moment. Real love is simple. Real love is the love of a servant. And there is no limit to the humility that this must involve. And he's showing them that that is absolutely the case. His central theme is self-sacrificing love. And it's a statement for them, but listen, it's a statement for us as well, isn't it? Because what he's really doing here, he is defining for all time what a Christian really looks like. The goal of a Christian is self-sacrificing love. It's complete humility and other-centeredness. It is not a goal we will ever achieve in our lives, but it is a goal which shapes and informs our life. Reaching the goal is not as important as having the goal because when you have the goal, you're on the right road and stumble forward, fall back, trip, get up and do it again, you're still on the right road. Are you with me? 
God does not measure our success by whether we achieve the goal. God measures our success by whether we care about the goal and persevere towards the goal. Any progress in that regard causes a party in heaven. To not have the goal is to not understand heaven. What Jesus is modeling is true servant leadership. Now it's an example for us and it's a challenge for us at the same time. Why is it a challenge? Because nothing is more difficult than humbling yourself by making yourself the servant of those around you. When we do this, it's a direct attack on our self-worth and our pride. It puts us in the lowest possible position. And so it is unacceptable to our sense of self-worth. Do you hear me? Nobody automatically prefers servanthood. It is deplorable. It is unacceptable to our pride and our self-image. We don't choose it often or enough. We just don't choose it. But this raises a question. Where does the strength of humility come from to overcome our addiction to feeding our own pride and self-worth? Because it is an addiction. Let's just be honest about that. Our default position is self-focus. Did you know that your uniqueness and your individuality automatically leads to self-focus? It's the great gift of God that we're individuals. It's the great gift of God that we're different and unique. And that difference in uniqueness breeds continual self-focus. We're enamored with our uniqueness. It's what makes us who we are. It's our default position. And we're addicted to it. Defeating our own self-worth. So where does the power come from? What is the source of humility that will allow us to take our focus off of ourselves and put it on others and take the form of a servant? Well, John tells us exactly in this passage where Jesus' self-worth and humility comes from that enables him to make this humble choice. Now, just get this out of your head. I'm so tired of hearing people reason this way. Well, that was Jesus. Of course it was easy for him. He's God. We are so habitually trained to see God as divine, that we continually overlook His humanity. And it is in understanding His humanity that He is the greatest example to us. If all we have to do is compare ourselves to a perfect God and everything He did when He was on earth, you, you have, there's no example there. There's only a sense of failure. But when we understand His humanity... That he was gripped by the same fears that grip you every day. He had to cope with the same wandering thoughts. He had to cope with the same confusions that it is to be a human being. He was fully human. Therefore, as a fully human person, he must find somewhere 
the humility and the power in God that he can make the choice to overcome his human nature. Just as we must do the same thing. Is this making any sense? The biggest mistake we can make when we read the Gospels is continually looking at him as God. Yes, 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 he is. But he was also fully human. And it is in that understanding that he becomes the greatest example for us. So where did he find the security, the security necessary to overcome his humanity and take the role of an obscure, overlooked, largely hidden servant? I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and I want you to listen for a key word. All right? Are you ready? This open book exam. You can even look at your Bible, but you won't have to because the old man's going to read it for you. It won't sound as good as when Golden Voice reads it, but the old man's going to do his best. All right? Now, in here is the key word. There is a word here which is going to make all of this clear. Your job is to listen and see if you can find the word. Are you ready? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. What's the key word? Haven't heard it yet. 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 Well, you're all wrong. Don't ask me to flatter you when, you're, when you haven't found it yet. It's the shortest word. It's the shortest word. Let me read it again. So. 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 Not, not so. But S-O. Now listen again and catch the drift. Jesus knew, Jesus knew, that's important, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, as a result of, because of, following logically from... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. The only thing that enabled him to step down and become a servant was that he knew the Father had put. And he knew that he had come from. And he knew that he was returning to the Father. The only thing that enabled this kind of servanthood in his life was his relationship 
with the Father, of which he was certain. Any pennies dropping? No one can fully let go of their self-centeredness and self-focus until they know who they are with the Father. And when you know who you are with the Father, your worth is secure and defined. And you don't need to prove it to anyone with your behavior and it sets you free to serve others wholeheartedly. And it sets you free from the clamoring, screaming of your own desire for significance. Hello. Are we getting it? Yes. The gray hair has spoken. Three times. We do not find the security in ourselves to let ourselves be perceived as nothing more than largely invisible servants of others. We don't find it in ourselves. We don't have the strength. We don't have the genetics. We, do, we are not wired to do that. You will not find that ability in yourself. This kind of security that can risk obscurity only comes from finding our security and identity in God as our Father. And in another letter, John put it perfectly when he said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. See what, see, see, get it. Pay attention, look. See what great love the Father has ridiculously poured out on us that we should be called his children and that is what we are. You see, when you get that, you don't need a PR department. You don't need self-promotion. The power to live a selfless life comes from finding our true self as his well-loved child. Now listen, apart from this realization, not just realization, apart from this realization and the experience, Lisa, Mike's sister, she had that experience a couple Sundays ago. That's what she felt. And that was, and in those few moments of feeling the love of the Father surging through her, as an experience, not an idea. Hello? As an experience, not an idea. Those few moments transformed her life, and all of her life leading up to that point had been nothing but religion. Ten or fifteen seconds with Jesus frees you from religion forever. Ten or fifteen seconds of the unadulterated love of God his love for you as a father, as his child, is a transforming experience which redefines everything in your world. Everything. Seriously. It is the singular greatest thing that can happen to you. It is the evidence of salvation. And apart from this experience, our faith is at best working for our worth and trying to prove it by our own efforts. And is that ever exhausting? 
You know, here's the irony. If I didn't tell you about the love of the Father and I just hit on Jesus' example of perfect servanthood, you, walk, you would walk out of here trying to be a perfect servant. And if you thought you achieved it, God help you. And if you didn't think you were achieving it, God help you. To think that we could achieve this in our own strength is madness. But it's the stick of religion. It's true even for the effort to be a selfless servant. Listen, time spent with our Father is the key to true humility and servanthood. Jesus did it because he needed to. Hello? Jesus needed to find his identity daily in his relationship with his Father. If he needed it, gosh, how much more do we? Man, you know, I mean... I, I, I ask people, I say, you know, do you have a quiet time? Do you spend time with the Lord? I'm too busy. There's too much to do for Him. As if the for Him explains why they're not with Him. <laughs> I don't need to have a relationship with Him. I'm employed by Him. I've got the company t-shirt on. Why would I spend time with Him? Look at what I'm proving. I'm proving to how much I love him by how much I work for him. Man, working for him is a really poor substitute for spending time with him. And by the way, it's not an acceptable substitute in his eyes. Martha, you're so busy. Mary, chose the better thing. She chose the better thing. You have to choose it. It doesn't come naturally. There's a guy down in Guadalajara, a pastor down there, I'm, was helping with his relationship with God, and I said, you, you need to be still, you need to have quietness, you need to spend time with him alone every day. And he said, okay, I'll try it. Because he felt in his life something seriously was missing. So he started to try it. And he wrote me back and said, I hate it. I'm not accomplishing anything. It's not productive. It's not supposed to be productive. You're supposed to waste time with him. It's not supposed to be productive. If your prayer time becomes productive, it's not prayer anymore. It's work. We waste time with God because he's worth being with for no other reason than being with him. Don't clutter up your relationship with God with your list of things to do for him. You can pray about that in the car. Just be with him. Just to know him. Just to sense his heart for you. Just to hear his thoughts. Be still and know 
I'm God. This acted parable is so shocking to Peter, of course, that he doesn't know how to react. And at first he refuses to allow God to wash his feet. God, I will, I will refuse to let you waste time hanging out with me. I need to work for you. <laughs> at first he refuses to allow his Lord to wash his feet until it dawns on him that it's his Lord who wants to wash his feet. Awkward. It's his Lord who's kneeling before him. It is his Lord who's telling him he'll be excluded from his Lord's company unless he lets his Lord wash his feet. Hello? If you don't let me love you like this, you aren't with me. You're excluded from my company if you won't let me Wash your feet. And in typical Peter fashion, because you've got to love the guy. He's not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But what he lacks in everything else, he makes up in pure exuberance. In typical Peter fashion, he goes overboard and he tells Jesus, Well, then wash all of me. Idiot. You know, later... Later, Jesus changes Peter's name to Rock. But I think in the translation of the Bible, they left out the word head. <laughs> Jesus, you are now called Blockhead or Bonehead. None of the disciples seem to understand what Jesus has done. They're not getting it. And so when he's finished... He explains the parable, the acted parable of washing their feet. And he says this. John says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord. Rightly so. That's what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And when Jesus says, very truly I tell you, you pay attention. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus has just told them what true Christian love is. And then he tells them that, that by doing it, they will receive a blessing. Now this is the blessing that God has promised to the humble. God promises to exalt the humble. And it works this way. When we choose to humble ourselves by letting go of our craving to be honored, and we give up our own efforts to achieve honor for ourselves, two wonderful things happen. 
Number one, we become free to relax and let go of our need for attention. And this brings peace. Just think about that. When we humble ourselves by letting go of our efforts to exalt ourselves, he exalts ourselves. Which means we don't have to. Which means that's not our focus anymore. And we become free to truly relax, maybe for the first time in our lives. And let go of our need for attention, and this brings peace. And number two, God takes on the burden to exalt us. He takes on the burden to elevate you. Because you chose to humble yourself. And of course, the question is, who does a better job of exalting you? You or God? When God chooses to exalt you, there is nothing that can stop it. When you choose to exalt yourself, there is no effort that will succeed. All you will achieve is the praise of men, which is worthless. I love the end of the chapter. We're just going to hit it real quick. (laughs) The chapter ends with more goofy self-promotion from Peter. Peter's a wonderful example of how not to do it. I will lay down my life for you. Really? And Jesus answered him, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows... Before this night is over and the dawn comes, you will disown me three times. Now, that's kind of pathetic, but listen, I'm really glad John put it in because we should find this very encouraging. We're idiots, just like Peter. During worship, singing those songs, we say the most absurd things to the Lord. I will never, I will never let go of you, except till later, maybe at noon. I'm yours forever. Well, at least till the football game starts. It's true. It's sick, but it's true. And I actually find this encouraging because Peter, the bonehead, is the guy Jesus chose to build his church on. Jesus never gives up on anybody. Never. Oh, the reckless, ridiculous, extravagant, nutty love of God. He never gives up on anybody, and we give him nothing but reason to give up. Oh, Lord, I'll never leave you or forsake you. B.S. Oh, God, I'm yours. No, you're not. You just think you're mine. I mean, you are mine, but you think, you think you're, you're wonderful in this emotional moment, but you're a loser. You're a loser. But I love you. I choose losers. I'm attracted to losers. I can't help it. Bad upbringing. My father taught me this stuff and I can't get it out of my head. I love people like you. 
Jesus, Jesus in psychotherapy with the Spirit and the Father. Why do I love them so much? We don't know. They're such losers. Yes, I know, but I love them so much. They're like stupid sheep. Yeah, they are. Spirit says, let me get a hold of them. I'll change everything. Yeah, you better, because I failed. I'm returning to the Father. I've had it. You take over. It's like, it's, it's like those wrestling things was tag team, and one guy's getting, oh, I can't take it, and he slap, and the other guy jumps in. Thank God for the other guy. Right? How do you, how do we say thank you for this kind of love? How do you say thank you for this? I mean, I say to him, thank you, thank you, thank you. But that's inadequate. Well, I can make a choice. I can please him. I can really light up his heart when I choose obscurity. And I choose not to have the last word. Or the last piece of pizza. (laughs) Problem, problem, conviction, problem. Every time we choose servanthood, we light up his heart. There's no application for this. Nothing's coming to me. How about we just decide I want that as a goal in my life? And yes, I'm going to fail every day. Yes, I will. But so what? This is my goal. This is what defines my hopes. This is the direction I want to go in. This is the kind of person I want to be. And I'm going to spend time simply being with my Father for the sake of being with Him. Not to, not to accomplish anything productive just for the sake of the relationship. How about that? Kill some time with God. Okay. I'm done. Okay, so um, Kirsten, would you come up? Um, so here's, here's a... Uh, uh, a bit of an application, Mark. So before church, first of all, we thank Mark for wonderful teaching. So again, before church, we were praying in that back room there, which you're always welcome to join us from 920 to 950. We just pray up a storm back there. I walked in and Mary was in her by herself at the beginning. I walked in and she said, the Lord just spoke to me and said, our pride is the issue. And so she and I spent about five minutes just just going after pride today and praying that pride would be destroyed in this house and be uprooted. And, and then you come and bring this lethal message to our pride. Right on. So I think maybe an application point would be for us to... Deal with it. Yeah. Just and, deal and with Kirsten it. And Kirsten says she had a picture. Now what this is, gifts of the Spirit where God gives prophetic words, that means he speaks spontaneously or gives uh, maybe a picture in the mind or a vision or that kind of a thing. God still operates this way. And Kirsten is a proven uh, person who operates in the pro- in prophecy. Kirsten's actually going to be also preaching our uh, Thanksgiving weekend Sunday, uh, John chapter 15. And so she's a gifted shepherd and teacher and uh, prophetess. So why don't you come and share what uh, you feel like the Lord gave you and then you pray into this pride thing.
And, uh, and then we're going to have Golden Voice come back up. And he's going to give us instructions about what we're about to do outside with our, our kids and uh, do the shoeboxes. Um, so, Kirsten. Well, the picture I got in worship, and I didn't feel I was supposed to share it then, but I feel I'm supposed to now, was a picture of just a string of lights. And they were very dim. And some were lit and some were halfway lit and others were dark. And um, the more that the love of the Father was poured out into this place, it was like it electrified each individual light. Even though they were connected to a string, they weren't um, consistently lit. And as the love of God was poured out into the place, uh, the lights began to come on. And those that were dim became bright. And those that were dark were recharged. And so this morning I feel like some of you might be struggling with this pride issue. And maybe that's where there's darkness uh, a part of your light. Maybe some of you are dealing with shame. Some of you may just need to spend time in God's love. Because you don't feel loved or you don't understand his love. Maybe some of you just need to spend time with God because you've been putting it on the back burner like Mark was talking about. And you don't feel like it's a priority. Just the soaking part of it is a priority because you're doing something. Well, God is saying this morning to us as a church. My love is what recharges you. My love is what sets you on fire. My love is what lights you up and gives you an opportunity to then shine brightly in the dark world. And so without his love, without sitting and resting and being and feeling his extravagant love being poured out on us, we cannot shine. We cannot remove darkness out of ourselves. His love does that. And so whether it's in a time of prayer or however you want to apply this, I feel like there's a moment here where we need to just accept, receive, and let his love be poured out upon us. And whether that's just in this moment to start off, but it doesn't end there. It has to be in every minute of every day, every day of the week, every month of the year thing. It cannot be put on the back burner because we need it. We were created for it. I don't think we should um, focus on pride as the issue. You see, that's a very negative way at looking at the Christian life. Yeah, of course, pride is a problem. But pride is our default position. Why don't we focus on what Kirsten's saying, which is receiving the love of the Father and finding our identity in Him, which always takes care of the problem. Don't fight the problem. Find the solution. Amen. Okay, don't make fighting the problem the center of your Christian life. Make finding the solution the center of your Christian life, which is to say coming to receive his love. So anybody that needs that, whether you see yourself as proud or whether you see yourself as self-centered or whether you see yourself as worthless and you need to change your identity. If you want a touch of the father's love, why don't you come forward now? And we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. And Josh, why don't you lead us in, in something really encouraging in the love of the Lord. We're going to pray for you right now. And, and uh, I anticipate God doing something. I anticipate that, that it won't be time wasted standing in his presence in terms of wasted like nothing good happened. Not wasted like it's okay to kill time with God. It's always good to kill time with God. I'm rambling. Help me. Come on, anyone that needs prayer, just just get up here and redeem this moment, okay? 
Our prayer team, come on up and let's pray for anyone that needs a touch of God's love and a reaffirmation in where your identity is coming from. Yeah, I would say we all need a touch of God's love all the time. As children need the love of their father. So why don't we all stand and if you, if this really struck you, uh, come down to the prayer teams. We're going to do this just for about two minutes. So you got to got to come to the water fountain while the water's flowing. Because then Mark's going to come up and we're going to go out and do a compassion piece where we want to send this love of God to the other end of the world to children who uh, don't know Jesus. But they're going to hear about him because of what we're about to do. But as Josh leads us in worship, I'm going to ask you to say this to the Lord in your own heart. God, I'm going to allow you to love me anyway. I'm going to allow you to love me anyway. Would you just say that to him as Josh leads us in worship? And then if you want extra prayer, come down front. Otherwise, this is worship and just say that to the Lord. I'm going to allow you to love me anyway. Just open up your hands and let's just come and worship him.